This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Virgecast, the flagship podcast of 2023, the whole year. When you think of 2023, you should think of the Virgecast, and you should tell your friends <laughs> to think of it that way. I know that people have been doing year in review packages. We've done them as well. All of them are wrong because the only thing that happened in 2023 was the Virgecast. Is that right, Dave? It's true. That is absolutely correct. The Vergecast wrapped is a thing that doesn't <laughs> exist, but will in 2024. I promise. I don't. I don't want to know. I'm your friend Neil. That's David. Alex Kranz is on Hi. vacation, well deserved vacation already. Uh, our holiday wishes to her. But Richard Lawler is here to fill in. Hey, Richard. Hey. Good to be back. All right. So this is our year in review show. Unfortunately, the tech industry has decided to chaotically fire out news at the end of the year. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do. Uh, what David has titled a year-end Apple chaos lightning round. Then we're going to have an actual news-focused lightning round. And then we're going to go through our biggest stories of the year, which I'll, we'll get, when we get to it, we'll explain how we decided what they were. It's, it's surprising. Um, but that's how we're structuring the show today. I think it'll be good. The news is a lot. Like, I just want to say before we, like, could everybody just stop? please. Like the last time we had a holiday, Sam Altman got fired. Like it's about to be Christmas. Can we just not like from, from now on, can we just not for like two weeks, please? Everybody. Yeah. Just shut it down. This is, this is the problem with working from home. All right. Let me just put it out there like a cranky old man. <laughs> You're at home now. All right. Stop working. Stop doing things. No more calls. Shut the laptop. Yeah, go to the fun screen, not the work screen. <laughs> it's time. All right. On that and note. Twitter goes down in the middle of the night. Yeah. Richard, I've never seen Richard actually like turn it all the way off. I've known Richard for a very long time. All the way off is not a setting that I think exists with Richard Lawler. Uh, All right. Let's start with the year end (laughs) Apple chaos. There's a lot of year end Apple chaos. Uh, I think the biggest, most material bit of year end Apple chaos news is whatever is going on with the Apple Watch at the ITC. Yeah. David, can you quickly run us through this? Sure. So the basic thing that is happening is Apple lost a long-running fight against a company called Massimo, which makes medical devices, about a sensor for uh, blood oxidization in the Apple Watch. There's a lot of history there that we can talk about, much of which I think is very interesting, but what it amounts to is that uh, Apple lost and the ITC, the International Trade Commission, put 
in a an import ban, which would mean that Apple could not import and then sell Apple Watches. All recent Apple Watches since the Apple Watch Series 6, except for the SE, would be covered. So basically, no new Apple Watches for Apple into the United States. Apple had 60 days since that ruling in October to either like come to a deal with Massimo to get this done and sign a licensing agreement or convince President Biden to veto the order. That expires December 25th, which is Christmas. And then on December 26th, the import ban takes effect. At this point, anything could still happen, but pretty much everybody seems to think that by a mile, the most likely outcome is that come December 26th, Apple is no longer going to be allowed to sell most of its Apple Watch models in the United States. So there's a few things to unpack here, which I think are interesting. One is the long history between Apple and Massimo, which we can talk about. The second, which people have directly asked me about, is patent nerdery. So I'll just... That's why we had to do this here. Welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of this, this is This is what I'm here for. So let me just, <laughs> I'll just do this part very quickly because uh, it's not actually that complicated this time. You can feel however you want about the patent system, but in this case, you have a small US company that developed some technology, got some patents on it. Then there's the wonky backstory with Apple, which we can get into, but you have a small US company, made some products, got some patents. The thing that has become the trend in patent lawsuits, especially between tech companies uh, over the last decade, is you file two patent lawsuits when you're mad. One is a regular old patent infringement case in federal court. The other is a patent infringement case at the International Trade Commission, which is an executive agency that regulates what comes into the country. And the reason you do that, the reason it's popular, is because we don't make a lot of things in America. That's just the truth. So if you are Apple suing Samsung or Samsung suing Apple back in the day, you are running this fast-track parallel patent infringement litigation at the ITC to ban your competitors' phones from entering the United States because that's going to create a lot of leverage for you in a settlement or a negotiation or whatever. So that is the trend. Every time you see a patent infringement lawsuit, especially when one of the companies involved or both of the companies involved have a big offshore manufacturing presence, they need to import goods in the United States – The ITC gets involved. Sonos and Google, ITC involved. Famously, Apple and Samsung, ITC Mm -hmm. was involved. And Samsung actually won at the ITC against Apple, was going to prevent iPhones from being imported. And the Obama administration stepped in and said, no, we're going to veto this one. And in that case, you see there's like a nationalistic impulse at play. You have an American company, you have a Korean company. The White House is like, we're going to let the American company win. In this case, something that's very different is you have a small American company and you have a giant American multinational. It does not seem like the Biden administration wants to pick sides here. It's like not an easy win. Like no one's waving a flag when you let Apple crush the small company. (laughs) It just doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So that's the just the shape of it, right? The ITC is this place where a lot of parallel patent litigation happens because it's faster And because you can quickly get to a very damaging result, which is banning imports, which creates a lot of leverage. And now Massimo has that leverage. The ITC is not a legal system, right? It's not like writing laws and judges at the end of it. It's just like a... It's just like a bunch of people who make a decision that has this gigantic effect you're talking about. But it's not like... It's a court. It's an administrative court. It's a, it's a different kind okay. of court. You can get all the way down it. some real law school stuff. It's not sure. a court in the judicial branch. It's an administrative court, and they, they work a little bit differently, but it's a court. Like, it ha- it does okay. that thing. So that that's, the, okay. that's what's happened here, right? There's been this patent litigation. 
I'm sure the sort of federal court patent litigation will continue to wind its way through the court system. But Massimo won at the ITC said, basically the policy of the United States is we don't allow people to import goods that are infringing the patents of companies that operate in the United States. Okay. Like you understand, like broadly patent system aside, you understand why that's the policy. You want to punish people for violating patents, especially people who might be manufacturing their goods offshore and not paying all that. Like you see where that's coming from. Okay. Apple has to contend with that. And it's what's amazing to me about this. And David, I think this is where the backstory is really interesting. They haven't just paid the money to Massimo. They haven't just bought the company or paid the licensing fee. They've been waging war against a small company for like a decade. Yeah, this goes back to 2013. Uh, and the the very short version of the backstory is when Apple decided it wanted to start doing the blood oxygen stuff in the Apple Watch, it contacted Massimo as, as a possible partner. Uh, and both sides agreed that that is a thing that happened, that the two <laughs> companies talked to each other. And then from there, Massimo's argument is essentially Apple hired, uh, I think it was their chief medical yeah. officer and a bunch of our employees and a bunch of our engineers and essentially just ripped off our technology whole hog and put it into the Apple Watch. Apple's version is we met with Massimo, decided that it wasn't going to be what we wanted it to be. They weren't close enough to a consumer device, so we went a different direction and then <laughs> hired Massimo's chief medical <laughs> officer and a lot of its <laughs> engineers and staff and built very similar versions of its technology. So the the sides are like far apart in a certain way, but not that far apart in a certain way. And it seems like what has happened at this point I was watching a bunch of interviews with Joe Kiani, who's Massimo's CEO, and he is like bought in on this idea that Apple is not an innovative company and needs to be shown to the world to be the non-innovative company that it really is. And Apple's also having this fight with AliveCore about some of the EKG stuff that was going on. And he is out here being like, I have spent $60 million over a decade on this litigation, and I am going to win to prove to the world that Apple is not the company that it claims to be. Apple, meanwhile, is the largest and most resourced company on planet Earth. And uh, the general consensus of the reason that no one at Apple's side has come to the table here is that Apple doesn't want to give people incentive to sue them. Yeah. Uh, and if, if you can sue your way into getting bought by Apple or getting paid off by Apple, people will do it. And I think those if, if you take those two things, there's just no space in between them. Just none. There's a little bit of space. Is there? There's a little bit of space. What is that? It's space? not a ton of space. And I I've covered Apple patent litigation for a long time. In many ways, Apple v. Samsung is the new story that helped The Verge become The Verge. Like it was it was a thing that drove a lot of our early traffic and interest. So I've spent a lot of time covering Apple patent stuff and talking to Apple folks. They are religious that they don't steal anything that everyone else is a bad actor and that everyone wants money right. and that Apple's going to come out. And I get it. I really get it. And you can see how this gets expressed in all kinds of ways. Apple hates Qualcomm. They hate <laughs> this company. Yeah. And it's because Qualcomm runs a bunch of patent licensing schemes. They own all the patents to 5G. Apple doesn't want to pay them. Right? They sued each other. The lawsuits are really snippy. Apple went out and bought Intel's modem division so they could get away from Qualcomm. That is an incredible bet. <laughs> yeah, Apple's Apple has like whole billion dollar divisions of its company that are just set up as petty counters to other Failing companies. divisions. Yeah. Like if you remember, Intel <laughs> failed to build a 5G modem and yeah. Apple bought the failed modem division from Intel <laughs> on the theory that they would just manage those people better. 
That's crazy. You only yeah. do that if you're like blinded by petty rage at someone else believing that they had invented something that you needed. And so that's Qualcomm. And I think people look at their attitude towards Samsung or Qualcomm and they're like, these are giants fighting. What are they doing? You get down to the smaller companies who feel aggrieved and Apple runs the same playbook. And I think it comes out looking very differently, hmm. right? We met with this small company. We saw their technology. We went and instead of having to pay the premium to buy the company, we just paid a premium for all the people, right? I think in one of the stories, Joe Chiani says the chief medical officer like, like tripled his payday or something. So they just spent a bunch of money on people. They, they took the company away from him and they took his technology and he's been fighting his patent lawsuit. And Apple's belief is that it can just win in court over and over and over again. Right. And this and is a story that startups tell about big companies all the time. Every day, like every we, company, yeah. Yeah. I look at this and I look at Apple getting all the way to this moment where they have preemptively announced they're not going to sell the Apple Watch. The ban isn't in effect. It's just the week before Christmas. They should be selling every Apple Watch they can. The way Apple announced it, super weird. Super weird. If you're Apple and you're it's Christmas and the Apple Watch is one of your is like the ultimate Apple Christmas gift, right? You need to sell as many watches as you can. This is extremely material information that your Q4 results will be impacted by not having the ability to sell the Apple Watch. That is That should be a press release. That should be an 8K filed with the SEC. Like You should be informing investors in the biggest, most official way you can. Right. And Apple didn't do that. They gave a background quote to 9to5Mac, which is great. I, I love 9to5Mac. My, all of my criticism here is for Apple. Yeah, That is an insane way to announce this news. And my belief is they announced it that way because they didn't want to seem important. They wanted to raise the pressure on the Biden administration. They wanted this veto. And I don't think they're going to get it. And they're going to have to contend with the Apple Watch not being on sale unless they buy this company, pay a settlement whose premium is rising every single day. Every day the Apple Watch isn't on sale is a day that Massimo is like winning, right? Like the, the yeah. price increases for from Massimo's side every day the Apple Watch is on sale. And what's even crazier about this um, Joe from Asimo keeps saying this in every interview. He keeps saying it takes two to tango, which is just an amazing thing to say. He's like, I'm willing. Like, I will accept the money. They have to show up and offer it right. to me. And they they won't. And I, I think Apple's just backed itself into a weird kind of corner here where they should have just bought this company 10 years ago. And we would have no one would have ever heard about any of this. And I think your explanation of it being religion is the only one that makes sense here. Because when you think about it, how could Apple have possibly have let it get this far? It just, it just, it boggles my mind to think that they didn't take care of this before, that they didn't deal with this. Whether you're worried about being sued by other companies or who else might follow a precedent, anything like that, they're getting sued all the time. That is already happening. There's just, there's no reason to do this, logically. Yeah. It, it, it does seem like there is a certain version of this set of events that it never gets to this, right? Like, the part of the reason this is so shocking is that we went through all these steps. And and Richard, one of the things I'm curious about is how much you've been sort of aware of this story over the last 12 months. Because it's been lingering for a long time. Like, they've been fighting about this for a decade. And yet, I personally was fully out of the blue shocked by the news that this was happening. Because every time you turn around and it's like, oh, a company's suing Apple. Apple will eventually write them a check and we'll never hear about it again. This is what happens over and over. The fact that anybody talked about it at all is surprising. And then every step gets a little more surprising. But eventually, it's like they're either going to write the check or settle in some other way and we'll all move on with our lives. So to me, it's like it, it's the fact that 
uh, it, the fact that it came out of nowhere, even though it absolutely did not come out of nowhere, is what's so telling to me. <laughs> that it's like, this, this is so such an unusual outcome of an incredibly common thing that I think if I'm Apple, I bet nobody at Apple thought it would get this far. Up, up to and in potentially including the day of the ban, I bet most people <laughs> at Apple are like, it, it will we'll win, it'll be fine. And I think you're exactly right. That's pretty much how I was thinking about it. I was aware of it. Just like I was aware of a number of other lawsuits that are winding their way through the system involving Apple. You have all the class action lawsuits. You have all the patent lawsuits. You have everyone ever saying that they invented the action button <laughs> before you got it on your iPhone 15 yeah. Pro. Yeah. But it never it never turns into anything or very rarely turns into anything. And then this one just dropped one day. It was like, oh, by the way, uh, if you want an Apple Watch, you should get it soon. Yeah, my favorite conspiracy theory about all of this, by the way, is that is everybody saying like, oh, this is actually going to be awesome for Apple's Q4 because everybody's going to rush out to buy an Apple Watch before it leaves shelves. What a vote of no confidence in Apple's <laughs> business development or legal teams. If you're like, this will improve sales because everyone will rush out, you're like, because Apple's lawyers will continue to lose this fight. Yeah. Tim Cook won't just write the check. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. The, it's a weird story. Every part of it is weird. It was weird 10 years ago. It's weird because Apple's religion is weird. People sue Apple every day, right? You're not, by settling the one case where there's merit or we'll get this far, regardless of your opinion on merit, it's not like you're going to encourage other people to show up. They're already there. You're already the richest company in the world. Like, you're the fattest target there is. Yeah. So it, it just it's a, it's a weird dynamic to think you're, more people will want to sue. Like, there's no one left. They're already suing you. Like, <laughs> like, if you wake up one day and you're like, you know what? I'm going to be a patent troll today. The first thing on your mind is how do you sue Apple? And that is fine. And it's like, whatever. It's part of the system. But there there comes a point where you had 60 days to negotiate the settlement before the thing wouldn't go on sale. And you banked it on B Biden showing up and having an opinion on whether the Apple Watch should be on sale. I don't – like, have you – you been paying attention to this dude? Like <laughs> – doesn't seem likely. <laughs> like, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> like, like Biden's out there giving interviews on whether President Trump did an insurrection. There are like two, like, even if you think he's checked in, whether the Apple Watch on sale is on his list of things to be paying attention to, far down any list that anyone would make of things the President of the United States should be paying attention to at this moment in time. So I, th the whole thing is weird. Yeah. Last minute Apple chaos. Anyway, it's Christmas. Go buy an Apple Watch before it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, Becky's doesn't listen to the show I bought she got a new one for Christmas and I will oh. tell you this one of the, the funniest things she, she only got her because she has a six she has a series five or series six it's dying like the battery's dying it's several years old mm -hmm. I bought her the new one I bought her a nine and I was like oh this is just not different no they are remarkably the same to the point where I had to take mine off and look at it today to remember <laughs> which one that I had <laughs> like this, this is just where we are. <laughs> uh, and what's actually funny, uh, Victoria's song has pointed this out over and over again in our coverage. The blood oxygen sensor in Apple Watch is not that useful. No, you know, it just doesn't do a lot. So, what? what are but we if doing? you have an old one, you should keep it around just in case it's useful for iMessage later. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> All right, let's get to that. Let's talk about beeper. Eventually, you're gonna have to jailbreak uh, uh. iPhone. No, eventually you're going to have to jailbreak an Apple Watch and wear it around your neck to use Beeper. That's that's where we're going, David. What's going on here? This makes me so sad. So we've been covering the the Beeper versus iMessage thing for the last few weeks. And uh, I think at this point, I feel pretty good about pronouncing it over. Um, so Beeper said at the beginning of this week that they had yet another fix for 
the iMessage blue bubble on Android thing that they've been working on and announced the fix. And it is so ridiculous as to be more or less sort of unusable for most people. Um, basically, the way that it's working is is by connecting to a device. Uh, it can register... <laughs> Uh, it can register your phone number as an iMessage number if and only if you have an iPhone or a Mac, which I would point out is exactly how it already worked. And so <laughs> we've just kind of come all the way back around to where we were. And uh, their solution is literally like, it's gotten to the point where they'll say, they're saying, ask a friend who has an iPhone to give you the registration code so that we can get into their system because that's the unique number that we need. They won't have access to your iMessages, but every once in a while, they're going to get a new code to keep the registration going, and they're going to have to give you that too. Or you can have an old iPhone, which I'm sure tons of Android users have around. Or, and this is the best one, you can rent an iPhone from Beeper, which is a thing that they're considering doing. Like, this just, it just doesn't work, right? Like, Beeper lost. And, and you can feel about that however you'd like to feel about that. Beeper lost. And I think it's very clear now that what Beeper is pushing towards is being like a martyr for a greater cause of fighting against Apple. And Eric Mijakovsky, the the CEO, was on, I forget, one of the morning shows talking about this. I think it was CBS this morning talking about this. Uh, a, a bunch of Congress people wrote a letter about, you know, the antitrust implications of iMessage. And so there's this like political fight starting that I don't think is actually going to go anywhere because I don't think the merits of this particular case are particularly strong. But, uh, one of the first times I talked to Eric about this, I asked him, like, is there a version of this story where you become a martyr for a greater cause and are you okay with that being the end? And he was like, that's not what's going to happen. And I was right, that is what happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> I read that letter. You know, I want to have a high opinion of our government, you know, like as, as a citizen of America, I, I, I truly want to believe that we can get back to having an effective government. I read that letter and I was like, have you, any of you ever used a computer? <laughs> Do you, do you have them? Are you, are you, uh, you ever turn one on? You ever, you ever see how, like they're using Apple's computers without permission. Right. That's what's going on here. It's not, this is pretty straightforward and you can believe that Apple should make iMessage more interoperable. I believe that I you can you. believe that green bubbles and blue bubbles are causing an epidemic of weird bullying in America's schools. I believe that you can believe that Apple has a moral obligation to allow for encrypted messaging between iPhone users and Android users without, you know, saying something like, go use WhatsApp and stuff. Like you, you can believe all these things. Uh, ages ago before Dieter went to work for Google while well, he still worked here, he wrote a story for us called the moral case for bringing iMessage to Android. Right. You can believe all of those things. That's a great piece. You should read it again. It, it holds argument, up really well. I read it while writing about Beeper and it is everything he says is still true. Yeah. It, you can believe all these things. You do not have to believe that requires Apple to let people hack right. their systems, like it, or find a, these workarounds. Like there, there's just something in there that I, the moral argument for letting Beeper work in the way that Beeper works is just weird, right? It's like it's a little too uncomfortable. Beyond, we should put some pressure on Apple to make the system more interoperable. But if that's what you're pegging it on is they found a 16 year old kid found a hack. Like you're just in, you're just in dicey territory from the jump. And by the way, I really do believe Apple should make iMessage interoperable. I think everything should be interoperable. But it's just this one is like it's Apple resolved it without a lawsuit. That's that's actually 
probably the most notable thing here. They just cat and mouse beeper out of the game without ever sending the mean letter, which based on what we were just talking about, is like very admirable for Apple. (laughs) Yeah. They, they did not use, I assumed that we would get a computer fraud and abuse act letter, but they just shut it down. Yeah. Richard, what do you make of this? I feel like I, I, I've talked to myself in circles now for like three weeks about, I think Bieber is right about everything except whether it is and should be allowed to do what it's doing. And ultimately, that's the only thing that matters to me. But I, I'm super curious what you think, having followed all of this. That is the stickiest part about this, is that what Beeper is actually doing, they're pretending to be iPhones or Macs. They figured out a way to do that, and Apple figured out a way to undo that. <laughs> and I don't think either party is wrong. It's, it's great that they tried to do it. And Apple is certainly within their right to say, hey, this device that is on our messaging system is not actually an iPhone or Mac that has been activated. It shouldn't be allowed to do that. And the kind of the solution that they've come to where you are actually using an iPhone or Mac is probably one that I guess Apple doesn't really have a way around and that they they could use. But it's so ridiculous. This is not what anyone wants. This is not a service that people want to pay for as, as they were suggesting it. And Ultimately, I think everyone's unsatisfied. Being an Android user and never having had an iPhone, the most surprising part of this whole news is when I opened up my iPad and found out that I have nine iMessage <laughs> messages in storage somehow. <laughs> and I don't know how that happened. Um, so that that is a mystery that still has not been solved. And if anyone at Beeper or well, Apple Richard, would I like to... I don't know how to say this to you, but I've been using your iPad to spoof iMessage for some time now. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known. I should have known. That that explains a lot of weird messages. And you know, the funniest thing about this is Apple. You know, they caved to Europe. They're gonna do RCS. They've talked about doing encrypted RCS. They've talked about other extensions to RCS to make rich messages with video and photos better. We're very close to getting what you want out of Apple here, Right. right? Like, to what end does actually making iMessage itself, like, forcibly interoperate with just one app accomplish very much? Again, I think it would be great. I like Beeper as a user experience a lot. I I was able, I piped in, like, 10 different inboxes into Beeper, and it is, like, a saner way to message. It's great. No one is obligated to support that, right? (laughs) And I, that's fine. And, and I think you're right. Like, if you boil Eric and Bieber's, like, moral argument all the way down, what they say is SMS is bad technology and Apple is doing its users a disservice by relying on it. I think that is absolutely true. And I think RCS is the correct solution to that problem, not Bieber, which is the problem, right? Like, even the case Bieber wants to make doesn't end in and the right solution is Bieber, it ends in, and the right solution is this better technology that we've invented that works for everyone. Yeah. No, the right solution is to take it back to when we had uh, that one app that had MSN Messenger and AOL Instant Messenger and IRC. Trillium. What, what we have? ICQ. Yes, Trillium. Yeah. That's, that is Those the solution. The that is where we need to Trillium, go. Trillium, Adium, Pigeon. God. Pigeon. What a world. None of them could spell any words correctly. No. That's the thing. They all had That's eyes you know where there shouldn't app. have been eyes. <laughs> Uh, all right. So our condolences to Beeper. Hopefully one day there's blue bubbles for everyone. Till that time, you can buy an iPhone and use Beeper on your Android phone. We got there. You won again, Tim Cook, you crafty yeah. devil. Uh, other little bit of Apple news. Lots of uh, smoke, but no fire yet on a Vision Pro launch in February. 
potentially late January. This makes sense. Just if you think about the next few weeks here, it's going to be CES very soon. A terrifying reality. Uh, Apple loves to disrupt CES. So saying we're going to have an event in late January, early February, during the second week of January when CES is going, pretty good timing for Apple. Yeah. Uh, and then they they have said early 2024 for the Vision Pro since the very beginning. Uh, so we'll see. I you know I, I think does this thing have a killer? Have they, has, has Apple figured out what the Vision Pro is for yet? I don't. Know. The answer seems to be spatial video, right? Like I feel like this has the, been the most interesting thing about the last month or so is we've seen this trickle of stories come out from people who have tried shooting spatial video in the, on the iPhone and then seeing it yeah. on the Vision Pro and. That just, at least from Apple's perspective, seems to be overwhelmingly the first thing Apple would like to tell you about the Vision Pro. I am very skeptical. I mean, some of the headlines you see are absurd. People are like, I was moved to tears by seeing yeah. my photos in the Vision. It's like, I bet, I, probably not. That's probably just like the screen resolution being off and it hurt your eyes. Like, that's <laughs> You're that's like, not. you haven't had emotional experiences with technology <laughs> yeah. before? That's impossible. <laughs> I I don't know. I, I'm not convinced that that is the killer app. Uh, You're just, not, you just never had a feeling in your life, man. I <laughs> cried when I watched the movie Best of the Best with Julia Roberts' brother. Like, I'm confident this thing is going to bring me to tears, like, the first time I try it on. <laughs> uh, I started shooting, I will say, because, you know, there has been these very controlled... Apple's been weird with the press. I'm just going to say this, right? They, they did the the... Apple Watch thing and this weird background statement to one out. Like, that's weird. It's just weird on its face. Um, we're going to talk about the CarPlay announcement. CarPlay also wasn't a press release. They gave that to GQ and cool. <laughs> like, what, do you, what are we doing? Um, and then the, this weird thing where, like, some people get to do the spatial video demo and some people, like, whatever. Um, Even the beeper stuff to, like, call a win for us weird, which it also was. The beeper stuff, which Apple never in a million years would have talked about, uh, we spent weeks trying to get them to talk. They gave me one quote and have never answered another question about it. Since. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, we're in the ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. So, sometimes, you know, the light of the sun shines upon us. Yeah. I'm it's just pointing weird. out in general, it's been, it's been a weird, yeah. a weird sequence of statements and not statements and, and whatever. Um, but the, the vision pro one is to me is like classic Apple where they just want people to be talking about other people's experiences, which are good, mm. which is fine. You know, it's like, again, people, companies are going to, Apple has run the most successful playbook in this, in world history. Keep doing it. But the idea that you're going to put on this headset and have an immediate set of emotional experiences is what Apple definitely wants you to think about it right now. Yes. Not. It's what you should think about it. Having an emotional experience through a screen is the best thing possible. Yes. I mean, what, think about it. What would you rather do? Use your real eyes to look at your children in three dimensions or look at them inside an Apple headset <laughs> on a screen in three dimensions. Well, if they're not I around. I think there's an obvious answer here. I think, like, as a, well, as they, a parent. Actually, they are around. around. They're, they're tapping you on the shoulder right now as you're wearing the headset, <laughs> looking at them. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, as a parent of the five-year-old, there are definitely moments where I'm like, I wish I could just rewind the clock on whatever you're doing right now <laughs> and experience you <laughs> a couple weeks ago. <laughs> And you can with an Apple Vision Pro. It is only thirty five hundred dollars. How how have you not bought one already? Look, I've started shoot, like I've started sh shooting some spatial videos just so I have them. Right? I'm like I'm very curious about this. My my broader point is not positive or or negative. It's just you can see 
when I say, what is the killer app for this? It is not something that is useful. It is something that is emotional. Yeah. Like that's what we're being steered towards. You're going to have a series of emotional experiences with this technology, which is probably the right thing. Richard's sarcasm aside, probably the right thing, right? Here's the thing that's going to help you relieve some memories. Here's a thing that's going to blow your mind. Here's a thing that's going to be memorable that you're going to want to talk about, that you're going to be excited for buying the more affordable version when it comes out. Not here's a thing that helps you get better at work. So you tell your boss to expense a $3,500 headset, which is where Meta was going with the Quest Pro, right? And it just, no one could get there. Like no one was like, this has made me more productive. It's kind of what Apple learned from the watch, right? Like Apple framed the watch as very much a successor to the phone and that didn't work. But then Apple found out a thing the watch was good at that the phone was not, which was all the health and wellness and fitness stuff and just leaned really hard into that. And so all of a sudden it's like, okay, you need this device because it does things your other devices can't do. And I think the problem all the headsets have had so far is they don't really have any of that, right? They they yell about like it's more immersive, and they they talk about like the games you can play. But fundamentally, it's like stuff you can do on other screens, just different and potentially cooler. Uh, and that pitch doesn't actually work all that well, at least not at the scale you need yeah. to work if you're Apple. But with something like you're talking about, like 360 videos, feel like you're living inside of your memories. Like there it is. That's a thing. <laughs> Real yeah. or not, like that is that is a thing I can't do on my phone. Whereas like I have more screens, it's not. And in a world where most of the people don't have actual access to these devices, it's a story that you can tell over and over and over again and they'll be interested in until you can get the price down and the manufacturing up and actually sell them an affordable headset yeah. two and a half years from I'm now. I'm just going to remind totally. everyone that many, many years ago, before disinformation and fake news was a threat to democracy, we ran a fake Super Bowl ad. We put out a press release saying we were going to run a Super Bowl ad. This got picked up far and wide. We we did it to punk the haters. I want to be very clear. There was like three reporters that specifically I wanted to tweak, and we got them all. We also, unfortunately, got the New York Times, <laughs> which <laughs> to this day has a story in their site that says, like, The Verge plans Super Bowl ad. Which no was bought. technically true. It was true. We bought a Super Bowl ad. We bought airtime in Helena, Montana for like $700. Uh, and we ran a, a very local Super Bowl ad. We sent a reporter to the Buffalo Wild Wings in, to, in <laughs> Helena, Montana to watch our Super Bowl ad and see what people reacted. And I, I don't need to tell you that the patrons of the Buffalo Wild Wings in Helena, Montana during the Super Bowl were not moved by our Super Bowl ad. Our traffic did not go up on that day. <laughs> um, but in that ad, there is a shot of former Verge editor Ross Miller shedding a tear inside a VR headset. Oh, yeah. And that is the thing that most people seized upon is being utterly ludicrous. Inside, like the joke inside of our joke was that the Verge thought people would cry in VR. And like, now here we are. It's 2024 and Apple's like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to weep like a little baby in our headset. <laughs> and it's like, all right, we weren't so wrong. I'm excited. Like I said, I've already started shooting some videos of, of Max in, the, in, in spatial video. Just... Because I don't want to look at someone else's kids. That's not going to make me cry. I'm not going to look at David's kid. Yeah, whatever. He sucks. We should actually, that's, that's okay, this is going to be part of the review. Okay. We're going to send each other videos of our children Ooh. and see oh, if I one of our children can make us cry. In that okay. That's cool. I'm going to cry like a baby, no matter what happens. <laughs> I love kids. All right, last one. 
Richard, I feel like you gotta you gotta take us through the CarPlay situation because it is ridiculous. Last year in 2022, if you can remember, at its developer conference, Apple said that we were going to get a new next gen CarPlay. It would take over every screen in your car, and they were going to announce vehicle news by the end of 2023. It is we've got a few days left in 2023, and they finally uh, said it's coming in some Porsche and Aston Martin next year, maybe. <laughs> and we've got two mock-up displays yeah. of the kind of CarPlay-equipped supercars. And what you see is the CarPlay screen across, even even in the, the dashboard, right in front of the driver with the, the speedometer, the tachometer, whatever you want. It's in the center, or maybe it's on the left. It's styled with their logos, with their colors, and with their, uh, I think, Porsche's houndstooth pattern that they usually have on their seats is now in the screen. I'm not sure if it's any better than what you already have in your car or something you actually aspire to, but the idea is that if you are a Porsche owner and you're using CarPlay, you'll get a special CarPlay experience that someone doesn't get in, you know, their, their mirror Honda or, or, a, or a Toyota <laughs> or something like that. So, so you don't have to deal with that anymore. I'm, I'm not sure really where we're going with this. I, I just, buttons are still better. We, we had dials and needles and that was fine to show out your speed and your tachometer. So a couple of things. One, a totally reasonable headline on the story could have been Apple announces Photoshop's. Yes. Uh, because these things are not real. They are, I believe they're real. They they are, what I, these pictures are not real. So the, the Aston Martin one in particular is the interior of an Aston Martin DB12. Uh, and it is just a bad Photoshop job. Like the, the CarPlay display has not been skewed correctly onto the screen of the Aston Martin DB12. And I know this because it broke my brain and I put it on threads and people started noticing that the lines aren't parallel. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, it's just it's just weird. So that's one thing. I, the Porsche is a little more confusing. I'm not 100%. I assumed it was a can. It doesn't look like a can. If, even if you just look at that. So what you have in the Aston Martin is... They took over the infotainment with just regular old CarPlay. Unclear why they had to Photoshop this badly. That's just CarPlay on that center screen. It's not what they showed last. It's not what they showed in 2022. Yeah, either. I'm just saying, like that's the, just it's just CarPlay on the center screen, and, and the CarPlay yeah. has uh, a handful of climate controls baked into it. What's particularly funny about that is there are hard buttons in the DB12 for climate, right, right below them. So. We've accomplished a lot, but you've got a little bit of climate control in CarPlay. That's a big, and then you've obviously got the speedometer and the, but CarPlay today can access the center screens of certain cars like Polestar's. So we just very little has been accomplished in the Aston Martin screenshot. The poor screenshot, again, it appears to just be Photoshop. You look at it and you're like, why would you want this? Like, why? First of all, the Porsche is going 205 kilometers an hour, uh, which is 127 miles per hour. Sick. While on a phone call <laughs> with a calendar open on the passenger display. So it's like, this is the most dangerous office environment in world history. <laughs> like, don't do this. I think that you misunderstand Porsche customers. <laughs> like, that's it. And then... All of this screen real estate is, again, to, to my eye, just like not being used for anything, right? So you've got a gauge cluster, you've got a speedometer, you've got a row of icons, so you've got a launcher, you have a giant 
map instruction that says stay on this road. You have call controls. And then over on the right, the massive passenger display, you've got two calendar entries, uh, a media controller, which why is that all the way over there? And then more map information and then the weather. (laughs) Perfect. I don't see the problem here. It's like they're rallying. What is all this? Like, is this, are people crying out for the lowest information density possible in the driving while you're going 130 miles an hour? I, I, I'm so torn on this because on the one hand, I think uh, it continues to be true that CarPlay is better than everybody else's software in cars. Yes. Uh, so Fine. so to some and, extent. And by the way, and you know I don't think it's good. I, oh, but I will agree yeah, with you. Yeah. That it's I didn't say it was for good. Tesla and potentially Rivian. <laughs> sure. Fine. Maybe. Uh, it's it's better than Porsche would build on its own is a thing I believe very strongly. Uh, that said. Why do we want any of this? Like, the, my favorite thing that happened here was this came out, like, right at the same time that VW did an interview where it was like, we're bringing buttons back to our cars because everybody wants buttons. And we tried to do other things, and we moved everything around, and people <laughs> said, stop it, give us buttons. Yeah. So they were bringing back buttons. That's, like, a thing that happened. And so I'm like, okay, if this is where cars are headed, I kind of don't think it's the worst idea to give all of it to companies that actually know how to build software. I'm not sure the right answer is Apple, but it's like, if if all of my car is going to be is a bunch of screens, I would rather have Apple program those screens than whoever makes my car. Just as I would rather have a car company make my car than Apple. Uh, but I, what if we just didn't do any of this? Like, <laughs> what if we just rewound this idea back like six generations ago and just made cars the better way. Yeah. And we, we did our best to, to put software in them that made sense or just less software. Like I'm, I'm almost on the Neil I team of like the amount of software I need in my car is a mount for my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's it. Like, like when we were at the part where it was just Bluetooth controlling the app on your phone that's playing the podcast and you could just press the yeah. same play button and pause button to pause it or whatever. We were pretty good there. Like, that's that's what you want mostly. I am utterly... And your phone on a mountain with Google. Yeah. Befuddled. So, again, I think the Aston Martin screenshot is a DB12. I'm almost 100% it, sure of that. It has to be. It was the only car announced. Uh, well, no, they didn't announce any cars. So this is an important part of this announcement. They didn't announce any actual cars. They didn't announce any actual features. They announced two screenshots, which are photoshops, yep. and two quotes from people who work at Aston Martin and Porsche. So I couldn't well, tell you. They, when these they told Car and Driver that it should be in the the system that's coming next year in the DB12 in the Volante. Oh, okay. So Aston Martin, or Car and Driver has. And Porsche said something. They'll like have more information when they reveal the the Macan or however you say that the all electric car. That okay, they have so this is the year. interior of the Macan. That that's what that's what you can assume. I think because it is not the current interior of the current Macan. Yes. So a new electric Macan will have this. Okay, fine. That makes sense to me. I'm just saying. Why? Like Apple could have just been late, right? They promised it by the end of this year, they would have some announcements. We had heard, I've heard over and over and over again from all kinds of car companies, except for Porsche and Aston Martin, which foolishly I did not (laughs) think to consider, uh, that no one's going to do this because everyone thinks the future of their cars is recurring revenue in the cars. You can go listen to the CEO of Volvo 
on Decoder just recently talk about how he's doing it differently, but he still wants to do recurring revenue just for like car insurance. Like everyone thinks that controlling this interface is a big yeah. deal and letting Apple undifferentiate their cars is a big deal. So you can see this middle step is Apple is still going to run all the software, but Porsche gets to skin it or Aston Martin gets to skin it a little bit. Okay. But they're not actually cars. Like, why not wait until you have an actual car? What was the rush yeah. to get it out before the end of the year? Like, no one thought it was coming. They could have done, a, like, a line on the page where they talk about the next gen uh, car play that says, oh, and it's coming in a Porsche in Aston Martin next year. Right, but we instead we have to announce some, some screenshots. Do you think Apple, I don't know, like, some lawyer at Apple came, like, running into Tim Cook's office and was like, the watch is getting banned. And Tim was just like, release the Photoshop's. just has them ready whenever we need to drown out bad news we'll just show people weird carplay stuff i'm excited i'm excited for us to have giant screens full of redundant information surrounding us in cars you know what's great about driving at night is having bright led (laughs) lit screens at you just in the middle of nowhere yeah all right that's the end of the apple chaos we got it we got to wrap this up we're gonna come back we're doing a very fast lighting round then we're gonna do a year in review it's gonna be great we'll be right back This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, we're back. We have to do a very fast lightning round. Fast. Uh, The note is for me. I'm the one who makes the struggle. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, David, kick us off. For this lightning round, I have six things. <laughs> uh, no, mine's very short. Um, it's that Bird, the once flying scooter company, uh, is cooked uh, it, 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 to steal from Jess Weatherbed on our team. Uh, Bird filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. The company has been like all but dead for a pretty long time and just seems to have completely given up. This company was worth... I want to say like two or three billion dollars just a few years ago. I 
confess I was all in on this like micro mobility future. I still kind of think it could work that like what we need is better public transit, but what we also need is cool ways to get around cities that aren't cars. And like, I'm, I think the e-bike revolution is really interesting. I think scooters is really interesting, all this stuff. Bird like really started this trend in a really big way. It just sort of dropped scooters in every city in the world, made a ton of money, raised a ton of money, really did the Uber playbook. It was run by yeah. Travis Vanderzanden, who was a former Uber executive, took over in a huge way, flew too close to the sun and, uh, R.I.P. Bird. That's sad. I was just in uh, downtown L.A. By the way, I went to the Emmy Awards because our Netflix show was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. That's like a real thing. Disclosure, need... we make a Netflix show. <laughs> we, well, we're, we're going to talk about Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's coming anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, disclosure, our Netflix show was nominated for an Emmy, and I went to Emmy Awards, which was crazy, and I sat behind the production team for the Kelly Clarkson show, and they loved a party. <laughs> they were just whooping it up. Uh, and statuettes for days over at the Kelly Clarkson show. Sadly, we did not win. We lost to a show about Italy on PBS, which, you know, when you're in the educational informational program category, the daytime Emmys, you kind of think you're going to lose to the show about Italian food. <laughs> yeah. So it was still fun to go. It's still fun hanging with our team. But anyway, so I was at the Emmys, downtown LA. The streets are full of scooters. Mm-hmm. And what struck me was everyone, if you will remember Bird and Lime, they started with just like consumer scooters they were like ordering from like aliexpress yeah at massive costs and they were breaking and people are throwing them in the river and they're like we're going to engineer the scooters you better once they've taken off and they've done that and the bird scooters in particular now look like some mad max shit oh yeah like raw raw aluminum <laughs> like totally armored like they're there's like an imposing thing and it's like oh these are the least cute scooters now yeah they weigh like a thousand pounds too yeah and this is the problem all those things became totally commoditized and everybody was like either you know we're going to win and then we're going to be able to raise prices like uber did or we're going to figure out how to make the unit economics work so that they stick around all this stuff and then some combination of everybody grew too fast and there was a global pandemic and nobody went outside for a year yeah uh, just crushed everybody and like kudos to lime and a couple of others that have kind of managed to stick it out and continue to to keep on keeping on but uh this was this was always coming for Bird. It was either going to, <laughs> it really was. It was either going to just completely decimate everybody and take over the world, or it was going to run through all of its money really fast and die. And that seems to be what happened. Yeah. So it was, it was less Uber and more WeWork. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> all SoftBank Vision Fund investments. I yeah. Out. All right. Speaking of uh, things that are doomed. Richard, I believe you have a lightning round item for us. Yes. Uh, the news broke through multiple outlets in the, in the last day or so that Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Paramount executives are in discussions for a max merger. That was an Alex Curran's headline, of course. Oh, my God. Because we might get Paramount plus Max. Max plus. Or something like that. <laughs> I hate it if, so much. If these companies are allowed to combine. Because we have two failing giant entertainment companies that can't really support themselves under their own weight the only solution that their executives can think of is to combine them. Yeah. Which I don't know what else you could do, but they're probably going to try and find out if this, if this is the solution. You could try to make good movies. Uh, one mm. option that uh, no. is, does not seem to be in vogue, no. uh, but it's just a, it's just a thing you could do. Uh, you could make a compelling television show for your service that mm. you've rebranded as Max. You could stop trying to be Netflix. Yeah. That could choice. be fun. Uh, like, I mean, this is the thing, right? And and we've been talking about this for years now that it was always going to be 
so expensive and so complicated to compete that there were always only going to be a few winners. And I think at this point, Netflix is one of those winners. Like, I, I think I don't, I don't see how Netflix falls apart at any point in the near future. Disney's one of those winners, but is in kind of a weird place. And there's probably not room for many more. Like Apple TV and Prime Video get to live on because their companies have so much money that those things are like not material. So this is the real problem though, but all these executives will tell you is that they're competing against cost centers for tech companies that right. have massive profits. So Apple TV Plus is just a cost center. Yeah, it's like lunch for employees and Apple TV Plus. And again, you know, my theory with Apple TV Plus in particular is they make it so that when they talk about services revenue, they don't have to talk about Candy Crush Whales because all their service <laughs> revenue is the 30% cut of in-app purchases on games. Mm -hmm. That is Apple services revenue. Amazon does Prime and they spend a ton of money on, you know, what you might describe as a produced Thursday night football game. It's not the best produced, but it's produced Thursday yeah. night football game uh, because that stuff keeps Prime subscribers around. It, it, it is the retention. They know it. But it's still a cost center, right? Like the lifetime value, they, and it's Amazon, they, they run the math. Like the lifetime value of a prime subscriber stays on year after year is very high, and we can take some of that margin out and produce this TV show because that will right. inspire more people to stay for longer. I mean, they did a Black Friday football game. Like yeah. I don't know if you need a clearer indication <laughs> of where the money here is for Amazon. Right. If you're Warner Brothers, you, you don't have some other thing that's making all the money. Right. You just have to like go make the thing. And I would just remind the audience Warner Brothers is the most cursed company in world history when it comes to mergers. Like, God, that might be true. <laughs> uh, the Times, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not this sort of person like runs or any like the New York Times, but the Times had a very funny piece on this, or at least I thought it was funny because they had the, you know, the very sort of normal Times business writing of like, there's ample business logic for the deal. And then they like listed all the reasons you might want to merge. And it's like, you know, every time any company merges with Warner Brothers, it ends in disaster. <laughs> like, like the AOL Time Warner merger is the most failed merger in history. The AT&T Time Warner merger is a close second. Like the only thing that merger accomplished was a massive layoffs, a shitload of debt, and a grayscale 4-3 Snyder cut. <laughs> That's it. That's what you got out of that merger. Big Nothing three. else. Like, what are we doing, y'all? Well, the Warner Brothers Discovery merger hasn't failed yet. <laughs> I don't know. I think, uh, how, how's your how's your Batgirl going? No, I think, I mean, the, the problem is the Warner Brothers Discovery thing was never going to work. It has so yeah. much debt. So much debt. so many holes to dig out of that it's like, since the minute this company existed, people have been asking, who are they going to merge with? Uh, which was just, it was just never going to work. And- the answer, I think, I mean, people have seen this coming for a long time, right? Like, these are two companies that were never going to compete with the handful of giants that are out there. But combined, maybe. Combi but combined to do what? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, honestly, combined to do what? To have more content? It's not more content that people, no one's running around being like, I don't have enough content. <laughs> right. I, and I don't even like that word. Like, it just implies, like, being shoveled glurge into your mouth, just like, Take the content, like just do it. It's another Tom Cruise movie. You will have it. Um, there's more reality television. I think what people are, what the, what you are looking to Hollywood to do is make really good stuff that is a little bit more scarce. Like if you want stuff with YouTube production values, boy, is there a YouTube for you? 
you know, if you want stuff at Hollywood production values, there's actually not not a lot. And it, it just seems like there's a race to the bottom here because of all of the debt that in particular Warner has had to take on through its sequence of disastrous mergers. Like, I don't... I don't know. Like th- these companies are not going to make a great app with a great user experience that makes you feel good about using it. That's full of really great stuff that inspires you to pick it over TikTok. And like, that's what they're really competing against is TikTok on your phone. And I think that's the biggest problem for them is that when you look at the supposed winners in this space, Netflix, are they, are they winning? Because they're probably going to have to raise their prices again. They do every six months or so anyway. They're throwing on games. They're trying to find some other way to get you to pay more for a slightly bigger bundle until they actually do recreate cable. Disney. What is Disney anymore? Is it going to have ESPN? Is it going to be something else? We don't even know. So I'm not even sure what the model for victory is for them. They, they just, they're chasing kind of nothing. It's mergers and golden parachutes. Let's be very honest. By the way, I have not done the full disclosure. Comcast is a minority investor. No, Comcast... By the way, I haven't done the full disclosure. Comcast NBC Universal Division is a minority investor in Fox Media, the Virgin's parent company. I promise you, not a lot of love from Comcast f- flowing in our direction. <laughs> uh, by the way, one of the the other line was like this would in the time piece. One of the other lines in the time piece was this will give them leverage in the is negotiate cable rates with Comcast and Charter. And it's like the dying stars, <laughs> like yeah. the thing that people are quitting in droves. Good luck. And the companies um, who are now negotiating by saying we don't need TV anymore because the only place <laughs> we make money is through internet service. Yeah, perfect. It's, yeah, that's that's by the way, they just le- leaked the last four social security digits of everyone who has internet service, maybe. <laughs> so. Perfect. Anyway, so Comcast is an investor in our company. <laughs> uh, we, we made a Netflix show. It's nominated for an Emmy. It's called The Future of You. You go watch it. Uh, we, our company makes other TV shows. You know, the usual. I have a Disney account. Uh, I just went to Disney World. Mm-hmm. I, does that count? I think the Magic Man is like uh, neoliberal fantasy. Okay, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Okay, last one. Uh, this is mine. I think this. I think this is actually like fascinating on two fronts. So Peloton, uh, you know, they got a new CEO. They went through. They also went through a big pandemic. Over hire. They bought uh, Precore. They bought factories. And then they went through a pandemic crash when people realized they could go back to the gym. Uh, so they, they're like reorganizing their business. So I have two Peloton ones that are kind of the same one, I think, in, in interesting ways. The first, if you have Peloton hardware in your house and you have the subscription, which is the plus tier of the subscription, you now don't need the hardware. So you can now walk up to any treadmill that supports a Bluetooth protocol called FTMS and use the Peloton app with that treadmill, which is like pretty interesting. And it'll like... Keep track of the same data about how you're running and all that stuff. Yeah, you get your incline, speed, oh, cool. pace, and distance in the app, which you know track it with the rest of the Peloton stuff. This is fascinating to me. Like, just they're just debundling their thing. Yeah. You obviously need the more expensive subscription, which very much implies that you have the hardware, but they are debundling it. And then, you know, there's a weird little Bluetooth standard for people to argue about and figure out what supports what because it hasn't really been important yet. And now Peloton is going to make this weird little Bluetooth standard important. Next to that, their oldest bikes are 2015, 2016. They're getting very old. And so they are going to they are no longer supporting the Android versions that run on those bikes tablets. So they will give you a $500 credit to buy a new bike, which is very expensive. Uh, also those bikes are always on sale, so it's nothing or this is really interesting. They will just sell you a new tablet for those bikes. Oh. The tablet is ridiculously expensive. 
So it's like the it's like a dumb bike with a smart TV, and you just replace the smart TV. Yeah, like there's yeah. there's just a thing happening in Peloton world where they're realizing that the sort of computer part of it, like, can be fully disaggregated from the bike part of it or the treadmill part of it. And so, in in the one sense, they're actual hardware; they're just upgrading the hardware. And there are some arguments in our comments and elsewhere about whether the price of that upgrade is too high. It's it's normally three hundred and seventy five dollars, but if your bike is expiring they'll give you a $50 credit. So it's $325. That's a lot. To buy a new tablet. That's a lot for like a, what is not the world's greatest Android tablet, you know? On top of the very expensive thing that you already bought and have that been paying for purchased. for a long time. Yeah, that's yep. a lot. This is a lot. But it is interesting, right? You can just put a new computer on it. And then on the, on the other side of it, you can just get a treadmill that supports this Bluetooth protocol, buy the more expensive subscription, and use your own tablet. So you kind of just see like the, the the nature of this company's relationship to hardware software subscriptions is changing a little bit in a way that you can you can get to a place where you're paying too much money for a Peloton subscription and you have neither their treadmill nor their tablet. And their app is just talking to your treadmill on your iPad. And that's like, oh, it, now it's a totally different company. It, it, it just feels like what Peloton always should have been. Yep. Um, kind of an add-on that they didn't need to be the new exercise bike company. But I assume that they registered probably correctly that if they tried to launch with something like this, either the technology wasn't ready at the time, uh, which I can believe to an extent, or if they did deliver it and it did work, that one of the big bike companies would just make their own version and they would get frozen out. But we had to go through this whole 10 years of waste. It's interesting to put it in the context of the streaming conversation. Like Peloton's real differentiation is it's instructors, right? They've like... Yep. They put on a show. The, the shows have communities around them. The instructors have people. The hardware is good. We, Becky has a Peloton treadmill. I have a Peloton bike. They're really good. We use them a lot. Um, I can see how having them integrated is a superior experience to if I was, like, cobbling together an iPad with something else and, like, needing a Bluetooth protocol to work. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's ever, like, tried to pair their phone to the treadmill at the gym, like, that, that experience can suck real bad. Yeah, but what's fascinating about this is, Richard, your point is, they could have just made it all about the content, and maybe that would have been better. But I think you need something to sell. Like Apple Fitness Plus is all about the content. I don't think it's nearly as successful as Peloton. And I, you know, like Apple's like you just bring your own bike, and no one does it. <laughs> like no one cares. No. So there's something in there that I think is just next to streaming conversation. Peloton sort of debundling itself in this way is like fascinating. And then there's a wonky Bluetooth standard, which is suddenly going to become more important. That's cool. And you know, I can't stay away from the dream. Holiday Spectacular 2024, <laughs> Peloton Bluetooth. <laughs> no, the thing I think is interesting about this is like, uh, Richard, I think that arc you describe is like exactly what Peloton should have done and potentially was always going to do. Like no one at Peloton, I'm sure, was like, we can sell $1,800 bikes to every single person on earth. They're like, we're going to sell these bikes to as like the luxury item and that's where we start. And then we become a content business to the rest of people. Uh, and that all would have worked just fine, except they absolutely lost their mind in the middle of the pandemic yep. when everybody bought a Peloton. And so suddenly they were like, oh, maybe the market is bigger than we thought. And what it actually was, was just that they did the 10 years of business they were ever going to do in like three months. And suddenly they were, instead of there being 10 times as many people who might buy a Peloton, which is what they decided was the case, it was actually just that everyone who was ever going to buy a Peloton had already bought a Peloton. So if they had shifted right then and been like, okay, we've hit the group, now we're going to be a content business, Peloton might be in a really different place. But instead, yeah. like you said, Neil, it bought factories and bought companies and was like, we're going all in on weird hardware. 
And what's particularly interesting about that is along the way, uh, the CEO of Peloton got pushed out for making those decisions, and they brought in the new guy, Barry McCarthy, ex-Netflix, who is now running a Netflix oh, playbook yeah. by disaggregating the service and the content from the hardware. So, like I said, it was just we, we were talking about streaming. And I was like, oh, this Peloton, there's something right there that's the same thing. The difference between them and streaming is that Peloton also released a treadmill that killed a child. That's true. Which is probably hey that one they're uh, they're the about to, to re-release it. it. It's true that it was oddly dangerous. Yeah, like too dangerous, and it went away. Uh, and now on their website, you can pre-order the new one, which is the same. I don't know. Very confusing. All right, on that uh, very dark note, thank you, Richard. <laughs> We're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna do uh, what I think will be very fun. Your interview. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. All right, we're back. So David had an idea to just go through all of our top stories for the year. But then this idea got complicated by the idea of how you would make such a list. Mm -hmm. David, what have you done? Yeah, so I, when I raised that I wanted to do some kind of end of the year thing, I was like, how do we sort of pick out the biggest stories of the year? Do we all come with our ideas for the biggest stories? Do we come up with a list and try to rank them? And you were just like, what if we just like took the top posts on TheVerge.com and went through them all and decided like, were those actually the top stories of the year? And I was like, cool, sounds fun. Uh, horrible idea. Um, we're going to do it, but it was a horrible idea. Uh, so we went through and basically two ways that we measure traffic on TheVerge.com are through Google Analytics and through a tool called Parsley. They, it turns out, have very different ideas about <laughs> how much traffic a page is getting. So what I ultimately did was look at both of them, and then I sort of triangulated a list of the most popular Verge stories of 2023. But in order to do that, you have to get rid of all the stories that are just like 
obviously successful because people search for those things all the time, right? Like a piece of fun inside baseball is that the single most popular Verge URL after our homepage in 2023 was our roundup of the best wireless earbuds. (laughs) Sure. Uh, And there's tons of those, right? We do buying guides. They're really good. They're really helpful. Lots of people find them. Lots of people buy stuff. It's great. Uh, Then we have things like explainers. Uh, We have an NFT explainer from like two years ago, I think. Yep. Uh, that is still lingering as one of our most popular stories. Uh, the best part about that explainer, by the way, is it's is uh, it's Mitchell Clark, I believe, wrote it, mm-hmm. and it is basically a reason why no one should buy an NFT. It's also the reason Mitchell Clark left The Verge and like moved to the woods. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like, I need to walk around the West <laughs> yeah. Coast for a long time, and he's been doing it ever since. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, and then we there were like some random things that we just left off because they're popular for reasons that are not newsworthiness, like a sort of. One-off story that James Vincent on our team wrote about deep fake nudes uh, that, for reasons I don't need to explain but are very obvious, was very popular on the internet all year. Uh, so, point is, I whittled all this down into, I think, an imperfect but like directionally useful list of the most popular stories on TheVerge.com in 2023. Minus the list of best laptops. Minus which, the list of best laptops, yeah. Um, yeah. and Which is a great list. Oh, tons of good yeah. stuff. Uh, I, I highly recommend Googling all those things and clicking on the Verge links many times <laughs> so that they keep being popular in 2024. And so what I want to do with each of these is just go through and basically I want to decide for each of these, does this belong on like biggest stories of 2023 list? Because a lot of these, they have their moments. People get very excited. Like there's a huge sort of spike in interest in traffic and then they die out. Others live much longer. So I want to go through and see like, does this merit a list of the best, biggest stories of 2023. And the first one, and again, I'm going in a pure list of popularity. This has no no (laughs) judgment. Uh, The first one is a big feature we wrote about inside Elon Musk's extremely hardcore Twitter. And there were a few others on this list, including the one where Elon Musk predicted that X will replace banks. He gave employees a year to replace banks. And then there was the whole Zuckerberg, Elon Musk cage match challenge. So I've just boiled all of this down to Musk, Twitter, X shenanigans. The one thing I'll point out, just having looked at the list, uh, you know, I don't often think about our URL slugs and the Zuckerberg versus Musk slug had the word world star in it, which is just the funniest thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was like Musk, Zuckerberg, cage match, world star. And it just did numbers. And now I, now I've learned an important lesson about putting the word <laughs> world star in all of our headphones. There you go. All of our headlines. Uh, I see why this is the this is the biggest story of the year. It deserves to be here, right? Right. I mean, it it uh, we've talked about this now at length. We've done a huge package on it. Like this thing catalyzed a reordering of the internet. And, and maybe you think I'm going too far. I really think that that's true. And the only thing that I'm missing when I say that is also the whole AI Google search. Dilemma is like right next to that. But this thing just catalyzed a rethinking of the social internet in big ways. It, Threads is the number one app on the app yeah. store. Mastodon is growing. Uh, Interest in Activity Pub is growing. Threads is going to do activity. Like all of that massively catalyzed by Elon's purchase of Twitter. Then next to that, you know, that story, uh, Extremely Hardcore, uh, you know, I'm just like a Verge level we co-produced that story with New York Magazine. It was on the cover of New York Magazine. Uh, we made that story with Casey and Zoe at Platformer and Alex Heath on our team. So it was just like 
just from me personally, like a lot of people had to work together in a way that people in media don't often work yeah. together to make something really great. That story is really great. And it is the story of a culture change inside of a company and what it was like in those early days. Tons and tons and tons of great reporting. And that immediately led to not like just reflection, obviously interest, but a bunch of other companies being like, what if we were a little bit more hardcore? And you just immediately saw yeah, that that's right. ping pong around sort of tech culture. Yeah, there was that brief moment where everybody was taking a page out of Musk's book and being like, that was like how a lot of people excused bringing people back to the office. They were like, it's time to yep. it's time to get serious. Like, stop being so nice to your employees. Yeah, uh, we're going to lay off a bunch of you. It was like a real thing that happened yeah. sort of in the wake of Elon. Yeah. Like, what if we had 50% less people? And then a bunch of companies are it's like, oh, that wouldn't work. And Elon was like, what if we did it again? <laughs> well, we're going to get to the layoffs in a minute here. Yeah. But R Richard, you sit in the news all day. This is this is the biggest story of the year, right? I was at a holiday party uh, for my wife's job the other day, and I, I was telling them kind of what it's like to work in this job. And this year, really for the last few years, a lot of it has been, oh, Elon just did a thing. Mm. Over and over and over again. If you are tired of reading the news, I am tired of thinking about writing it and uh, talking about it. The number of stories that we did not write is much longer than the story, number of stories that we published or that we considered. And it's one of those things where, Neil, I think you're, you're extremely right about all the things that it covered, but it was even more than that. It was security. It was policy. It was international, even the layoffs, how they happened in different countries across different continents and were affected by different laws. Uh, we had the lawsuit. We had the whistleblower who came back and said that Twitter was wildly insecure before and talked about the things that the previous administration was doing. We, we had the, the woman who was sleeping in her cubicle. Yeah, who then got fired. And later got fired. It was a, it was a momentary star. We, we had, there were just so many things that happened. I, I can't remember all of them or even one-tenth, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, which is impressive, actually, because that means Elon Musk is the story of the year two years in a row. Because all of the chaos of the acquisition was very much that thing in 2022. Uh, so here's hoping we don't make it a three-peat. On that note, let's move on. Uh, next on the list, I, I, I would not have put this second, but I'm not surprised it's actually here, is the Vision Pro. Um, our, our just in, initial announcement post was number two, and Neelai, your hands-on getting to try it. Face on. Your, your face on uh, was also <laughs> on this list, too. Not surprising to me that this is the gadget of the year, right? Yeah, it's the newest, most impressive yeah. thing. Uh, it has the biggest ideas. It had the flashiest launch. It's it's Apple. You know, uh, Apple's always going to be on that list. Uh, I'll I'll just do a spoiler way down on this list, but still in the top whatever fifty. The iPhone 15 Pro, like it's just, it's just there. Yep, I get it. And also, people are just really curious. You know, it's like a new hardware category from Apple. What are they going to do better than everyone else? I think that some of that interest will carry through the actual launch. But you know, what surprised me is that the hands-on did as well because it was, as I was writing it, I was like, there's no way to convey what's actually happening. Yeah. Like you just, you're, I'm dancing with architecture. Like I'm, I'm doing the thing here where like, I can't take a picture of it. I can't show it to you. I can just write about it or around it, you know? Yeah, I was sitting one table over from you at Apple Park in their visitor center while you were writing this story. And you came out and you were just like, I think I just have to write about all the things that happened in a row. And I think that's all mm -hmm. I can do. And I was like, yeah, I think that's all you can do. <laughs> and that was what you did. Turned out people liked it. it. Worked out great. Yeah. 
All right, number three on the list uh, was, uh, I believe this was Liz Lopato on the last day of the Sam Bankman-Fried trial. Her headline was, Sam Bankman-Fried gambled on a trial and his parents lost. But I think, to some extent, A, this is a terrific piece, uh, but B, was the the summary of the SBF FTX trial, which Richard like definitely belongs on this list, right? Biggest stories of the year. Surely. O- over the last year, we saw this kind of coming at the end of 2022 as FTX collapsed. Sam Bankman-Fried went on a massive media tour, and then he was arrested. <laughs> right. Like you do. A very strange <laughs> sequence of events. Um, arrested and extradited from the Bahamas, and then we had the trial. And it all kind of wrapped up within a year. And I think the verdict came in a year to the day after Coindesk had published this kind of expose of what turned out to be just one of their balance sheets, showing some really serious problems within FTX. But uh, Liz, I thought that in particular, this piece dug into the personal side of it, of who Sam Bankman-Fried was and what it meant for him to view the world in the way that he did and how that resulted in both the growth of FTX, the way that the investors and the people who backed it were kind of drawn into it. And they saw an opportunity in, in this person and in this company. And then what happened after it all fell apart and after he was on trial and why why someone would go to trial on this, why they would yeah. risk all of this when we all saw it, when we all read it and we were like, yeah, he's going to be found guilty, right? And he was. Yeah. But how, how we got there. I always think that the tagline for The Verge is how technology makes us feel, you know, which is like, it doesn't work in ad meetings. Like that's where you need to <laughs> Um What we're excited about the future or whatever. But this one to me is like a perfect encapsulation of that. Like we're not a financial publication. We're not really a business publication. Sometimes I think we're like a secret business publication uh, where we cover tech really closely, but we cover like this very human part of it. And we spend a lot of time on that thing. And to me, Liz just found that line in this trial. Her, her coverage of this trial through and through yeah. was amazing. But this one, it just made it sad. Like, yes, he scammed a lot of people out of a lot of money. Yes, all this stuff. And there's just a sadness to it. And if you even read the comments or, like, the people posting on threads about it or whatever, people caught that sadness and it really resonated with them. Like, if you're just a parent and your kid has this big belief and he's on the rocket ride, like, you're – you're just not motivated to be like, well, my kid's a shit. <laughs> yeah. And there's just something in there. It's, it's worth reading and just like really sitting with because Liz caught it like exactly. And she was in the courtroom every day and she was just watching this happen to these people. And there's something in there that I think is just really powerful. It's like, it's very literary. It's like what I want the verge to be at its best, even though it was a trial about cryptocurrency scams. Yeah. Yeah. I will say it, this is a totally unfair thing to say, whatever, six and a half weeks after the trial. But there has been less uh, ongoing fallout from the FTX trial than I expected. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff brewing, but when the trial ended, it felt like a lot of people kind of, you know, wipe, wiped their hands of it and moved on with their lives. It was like, oh. Oh, no. Uh, here, here's one thing I know. Richard remembers <laughs> the people who— I remember everyone who ever tried to sell an <laughs> NFT, and I will follow them forever. It will never Re- drop. Receipts but- Lawler over here has not forgotten a goddamn thing. What I was going to say is there, it, there actually has been some fallout. We've seen several other executives uh, go down. We've seen, Binance started the entire run against FTX. They have had a guilty plea to criminal charges. Their CEO is in America and cannot leave because he is a flight risk. There, there are still things going on. I think we're going we're gonna to see these echoes just can, kind of continue throughout crypto and throughout the financial industry. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next one. This is uh, just to, you know, 
take you further inside the Parsley Google Analytics thing. On Google Analytics, this was, I think, in like the top three most popular stories of the year, and it was nowhere on Parsley. So I don't know what to make of that, so I just put it in here. <laughs> uh, this is Jen Tui's story about Amazon opening up its sidewalk network to give any gadget free low-speed data. I remember being very surprised at how well this story was doing at the time. It's a good story, but like I was shocked that that many people care about sidewalk as a thing. I'm convinced that the words free data are the thing. Oh, uh, that's interesting. Right. Any gadget free data, you get it. Fair. You, I immediately understand. People are out there in the streets with their chumbies being like, how do I connect to these sidewalk <laughs> networks? There was also a sort of weird discussion that popped up around this where people were like, oh, your Echo is suddenly going to give away your internet capacity to whoever wants to use oh, it. That's so you right. need to change the thing. That's and, true. Uh, and your ring cameras, a bunch of stuff has sidewalk enabled. And the idea is that you can build stuff like Amazon has trackers, like tile and air tag competitive tracking stuff. They have pet tags. And so you need to build this like big mesh network and you would participate in it. I don't think any of this has really come to pass, right? No. Like there's not a lot of sidewalk stuff out there. Yet. This is the first story on the list that I'm like, this doesn't really belong on the biggest stories of 2023 list, uh, which is no slight to Jen. It's a great story. Uh, but yeah, I think sidewalk is a longer term, super interesting thing. This idea of like these local mesh networks is really fascinating, but is not like in people's lives yeah. and brands. Amazon right has a page that's like Amazon sidewalk gadgets on amazon.com. And it's a long list of like, FAQ questions and what you can use. And the only products you can buy are bridges. Oh, perfect. Like you can buy Echo <laughs> devices and ring cameras. And there's not one thing that you can do with it. <laughs> Connect all your stuff. Do nothing. I will say this. The coverage map is looking a lot more filled in. Uh, if you click to their page compared to the version that we have in here. So it's still going. But they've also had an executive change sure. for Amazon. So I don't know what the priority for, will be for this going yeah. forward. That's true. Panos Panay now runs devices and services at uh, yeah. Amazon. We'll see. Panos, free data for everybody. Let's do this. Okay, next up, Sony's portable PlayStation Portal launches on November 15th for $199.99. This is the single most surprising thing to me on the list, mostly because no the portal is stupid. <laughs> well, they nobody knows that. that's true. One, look, you've done that. See, you, no, you do this right. for long enough. You get jaded. You get, you know, you got you to gotta sand that off. You got to look at this with beginner's eyes, David. You're right. People are like, there's a new PlayStation. I'm super hype about and it. It looks crazy. August. Life was so simple in August. Right? They're like, it looks crazy. <laughs> it's got these weird handle controllers. Like, it could also be a Batarang. It's only $199. I haven't been told about the ridiculous limitations of this device yet. I understand why people clicked on this story. Yeah. $200 PlayStation. Yeah. On the go. I can tell you and then you're confidently. Like, it also only works in your house. <laughs> right. Yeah. How to buy the portal not on the popular list. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know you're right. This was exciting at the moment, and it felt interesting. Cloud gaming was a thing people talked about all year. It was like, there was a lot going on. I can see it, but boy, did that. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not going to be like the, the entire media's editor-in-chief. The, the difference between The Verge and everything else is we're excited about technology often because I've watched this cycle a million yeah. times, right? People are going to be excited about the PlayStation portal. And like, I I know, <laughs> I know, right? But, but I'm not going yeah. to like harsh yeah, your vibe that. right at the beginning. Everyone else is like, this is stupid. Technology is stupid. We're not going to do that. We're here for you. We're going to talk about USB-C for a full hour. <laughs> And if you want to carry around an LCD screen to play PS5 games on, we're here for you. 
Yeah. I support, I, I personally support your choices. But technically we're yeah. not here for you because you have to be in your house and, and we have to be in our house. <laughs> so we can't actually be here for you. I'm really sorry. If for you. Uh, I would say the next away. one on your list is exactly the same story. I was just about to say, speaking of cool promises that vastly underdelivered, Google announces the Pixel Fold. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah, that didn't go great. I wanted to love the Pixel Fold. I have a Pixel Fold sitting right here, and I still look at it, and I'm like, why aren't you better? Yeah. I mean, uh, I would say all of the hardware we saw, the Pixel tablet was also a kind of a disaster that year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last year, I should say. Um, this past year. The, the, the Pixel Fold, is, I think what people were hoping, and I'm, this is just this is vibes-based analysis, but I think what people were hoping was that Google would have gotten it right in a way that Samsung has not gotten it right, or it would be cleaner in a way that a Samsung device is just a cacophony of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe, you know, Google got something right, but it also is just like not more useful than a regular Pixel phone. Yeah. It's, and it's yeah. Expensive. Where we landed was like, this thing is $1,800 and doesn't make a particularly good case for itself. Yeah. Uh, the thing that always amazes me is like, it's just heavy. It's just a big, chunky brick of a thing. And I still have yeah. high hopes for the fold too. I'm not going to lie to you. And it doesn't even run Dex. Yeah. Am I right? Look, if you could take a Go- if you could take a Pixel Fold and turn it into a proper Chromebook, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. You know who I'm talking to. Let's talk. Which brings me to my next story. I love Dex by Dan Seifert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the other problem with the Pixel Fold is that it's both massively expensive and several months, just a few months later, they brought out a better phone. Yeah. That wasn't foldable. <laughs> And it was cheaper. So you don't have the new hardware and the new AI capabilities in the new Pixel. It just folds. And so so you've, you've paid all this money and you don't have the best phone. It's, it's just the wrong the wrong mix yeah. of things. I really, I think the, the Verge audience wants to love the Pixel maybe more than it wants to love any other individual device. Yeah. And like, there's a lot to like about yeah. the Pixel, but the Pixel continues to be uh, more loved than it deserves among our audience, I think. And by among our staff in a lot of ways. I love the Pixel, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that like Samsung objectively makes better I can't wait moment in time. to get to the one Samsung on this list. <laughs> I won't give we'll, it away now, but there's we'll only there. one yeah. Samsung on this uh, list. All right, so yeah, we can keep moving. So the next one is VW beats Tesla to the punch and unveils an affordable electric vehicle. This was from March uh, when VW announced the, the ID2All one of the worst names of all time. Yeah, it's not great. Like when you look at a name and you think, oh, that has to be a typo. I should fix that. You did it bad. ID, capital I, capital D, dot, space, <laughs> number two, lowercase a, L, L, dot. What? That's nothing. Yeah, it's not great. Nothing about this, this is crazy. crazy. This does not belong on the list. Great headline. Exciting times. Great headline. Does not belong great on headline. the list. Great headline. Also vaporware car. Yeah. VW, make buttons. Yeah. That's good, but make cars <laughs> i just realized there's no Cybertruck wiper coverage on this list and i i don't know what we're doing here guys i gotta we gotta go we i gotta should have mentioned i took all cyber truck cyber truck wiper coverage <laughs> off because it just would have dominated the whole list and who has the time uh yeah next one a pretty recent piece of news sam altman fired as ceo of OpenAI. this one i like very much because this is both extremely deserving as one of the biggest stories of 2023 and extremely not deserving at the same time yeah, a story in which almost nothing happened at the end. Right, but it was captivating in a way that I think no other single news event 
in our world of 2023 was. I can't think of another moment like that this year. I maintain a list of TikToks that should be PhD theses in media <laughs> studies. Sure. Uh, one day I'm going to publish the entire list. And a lot of them were TikTokers just like reading our stories about open AI drama and then imposing like their own TikTok drama Love narratives it. on them, which was, it was just like, I could, the thing that interests me about that is like, it was a story that could be everything to everyone. Like no matter what you thought or how you felt, you could take this like guy got fired employees like guy guy comes back and you could just it's like the hero's journey man it's like you just put any any story you want onto that foundation totally. and they did what happened you know what happened in there is actually really meaningful right like microsoft is involved they were taken aback there's a lot of reporting now that comes out that's like maybe sam was lying to the board but the board can point to any specific instances there's going to be an investigation but you're right. In the moment, it was captivating. It was also Thanksgiving. Like literally, True. nothing else was going on. Uh, I think it's on this. I think this is one of those moments when like governance of AI like jumped all the way to the top of people's minds for a minute. That at least means the next time we have to talk about it, everyone is initiated into the vocabulary, mm -hmm. which is good. Yeah, we like have a shared reality of AI chaos now, which is useful. Yeah. The thing that struck me about this one is it's the it's the Lynn Sanity story of the list. <laughs> it is both the one that came completely out of nowhere. Um, I yeah. think one of the things that, that hits me when we have big stories is when I think, oh, man, we should have seen that coming. We should have been more prepared or had something ready. Did not see this one coming at all. Could not have seen it no, coming. No it way. just dropped in the middle of the day and suddenly we're reading it all together and we're like, wait, he's fired? Yeah. Did that just happen? It also, as you mentioned, happened when nothing else was happening. So. Also, for me personally, uh, working on the story with Alex Heath while at Disney World, uh, truly one of the most surreal, surreal moments of the year, and potentially. If they were ever going to make a sports documentary about you and Eli, it would be that that weekend. Can I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna the two things happened to me at the Outer Rim <laughs> Bar at uh, the con Disney's Contemporary Resort. One, uh, I talked to Alex about the story a whole bunch, which was just weird, right? My family's there. It's Disney World like Mickey's singing or whatever Mickey's doing in the restaurant. And I'm like talking about opening eye. The second is I went to the bar after that conversation, I sat down and I was informed that there are regulars of the outer rim bar at Disney's contemporary resort. And a bunch of regulars were there to watch football. And many of the regulars travel for hours to come to this bar. And I'm like looking around. I mean, it's not, it's just like, you know, it's like, it's one of those hotels where the, the, the middle is like mm -hmm. wide open and you can you could see into the brunch spot where like Mickey was singing, and I was like, "Y'all come here!" And they're like, "We love it here!" And I was like, "I need to get out of Florida. Like, I need to mm -hmm. go away." If you stay longer <laughs> than six days, you never leave. It's like I don't. And there are other cities. <laughs> yeah, there are other televisions people. But like, keep in mind, this is what was happening to me while we were doing the open AI reporting. I'm sh I'm like a dead certain some of that bled into the open AI reports. <laughs> Like the whole thing got more chaotic over time, which feels right for, for your yeah. situation. I was like, we all have to get out of Florida, <laughs> metaphorically and literally. Uh, next up on the list is FDC versus Microsoft. This is the story stream that Tom Warren mostly did uh, during the FTC versus Microsoft trial. And a fun fact. The Activision trial. What is that? This is the Activision deal. Yeah, the Activision trial. Um, the fun fact about this one is that this is the only story on this list for which Google was not the top referrer. Basically, any story that's going to like have a long life on the internet ends up 
getting a lot of traffic from Google because that's just how people find yeah. things. Google Discover, Google News, like Google is sort of the long tail of internet traffic. This is the only one on our most popular list where the number one traffic referrer was TheVerge.com, which meant that people typed in yep. TheVerge.com to go find Tom's news about an Activision trial, and I think that kicks ass. Also, I think if the year wasn't ending now, Sean's coverage of Google versus Epic would yeah, I think that's right. have a similar yeah. traffic curve. It just, ha- it just happened towards the end of the year. The Microsoft case was earlier in the year. Also, you know, Activision is a little... This was a little sexier deal, I think, uh, in the court case. Uh, was more was revealed. Yeah. I think what one thing that I have taken away from all the trial coverage this year, and it's like a lot of it, it's a little overwhelming even for me, and I love it, is boy, there's just a lot of backroom shenanigans at all these companies. Yeah. Like, we think these companies are sort of like operating the marketplace, and they are not. Like they are constantly thinking of like every possible way they can turn every single deal into an advantage. And that's, you know, Microsoft won this one. They obviously took over Activision. The FCC has appealed. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, I think Microsoft's people's perception of Microsoft changed after you like read a bunch of their internal emails about how this will happen. Yeah, this was a really interesting one. I feel like this was the kind of thing that just kept being interesting day after day after day after day. Like so many of these trials have sort of ebbs and flows, but FTC versus Microsoft was very compressed. It happened very quickly and a ton of stuff happened. And we also learned that like Microsoft thinks it would be cool to buy Nintendo and it it became a whole fight about Call of Duty. It was just like all of the like, biggest, sexiest names in gaming and entertainment just yelling at each other. It was great. (laughs) Next up on the list, buckle up because El Nino is almost here and it's going to get hot. (laughs) Maybe the best headline we published this year. Neelai has a theory about buckle Uh, up headlines. Oh, it's not your theory. No, it's not my theory. It's Andy Hawkins, our transportation editor. Every time we run a buckle up headline and it does numbers, (laughs) he just says people love buckling up, which is totally true. (laughs) Like if you put buckle up in a headline, people are like, I love to buckle up. I That's need to so know what's going to happen. Our climate coverage does surprisingly well. I think we have, we have a young audience. People love it. People like being able to share the stories with like their skeptical friends and family. Generally, there's a sense that like this is this coverage is talking to an audience of itself. But Justine, our climate reporter, and Andy, who's her editor, they do a really good job of making the stakes real. And I was ha- I'm happy the story is like yeah list. yeah I agree. Justine does a really good job of covering climate stuff like for regular people just living their lives day to day, which is cool. Um, yeah. Okay, next up we have the iPhone 15 Pro and Pro Max launch. Uh, I'm actually surprised this was this low. Why? Just it's the iPhone. Like, I don't know. The Verge is like founded on the iPhone being a big deal. <laughs> it's an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Not the iPhone. Fair. Smartphones. Our early days were like, will this Motorola phone? <laughs> it it's won't. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> they, they put USB C on it, and yeah. and that's. Uh, that's most of what we have to say. I wonder if we made this list over a long enough period of time for every year, we could track the sort of dominance of the iPhone by how high or low it is in the list. Because my sense is that it's trending down. Oh, that's interesting. Right. That like the, the new the newest iPhone is no longer the most important tech news of the year. Has not, and that has been the case for a while now. There was a case. There was a time when it was the most important tech news of the year. Yeah, year after I year. think that's right. It's still big. Like I think to some extent, it's interesting that it's the only sequel device on the list. Everything else is like sort of brand new in some meaningful way. This is the 15th iPhone. Like the Galaxy <laughs> S23 did not make the list. You know what I mean? The Pixel 8 didn't make no. the list. So it's it's definitely in a league of its own in that way. But I do think it's true that I bet it it has sort of 
fallen down the scale on Google Analytics over the last, whatever, 12 years of the Verge's existence. Yeah. The flip side of that is that people are still really interested in the iPhone, which, yes. again, if you kind of look in the broader press or the conventional wisdom or in the culture, there's a sense that people are over it. And then we look at our list and it's like, oh, this is still very high in this list. Like yeah. being up on the Verge's traffic list represents yeah. a lot of traffic. Yeah, the, the numbers on all of these are <laughs> enormous, I should just say. Yeah. Um, okay, next one. We have a couple more to do and then we'll get out of here. This is Microsoft's new diskless Xbox Series X design with a lift to weight controller. Richard, this was another FTC versus Microsoft thing. Wasn't that there was like that run where we got accidentally a bunch of cool leaks, right? Yeah, a document was posted, I think from Microsoft that accidentally didn't redact a bunch of things in it. And that revealed some of their future plans. Uh, and this is what we saw, the, the cylindrical Xbox Series X successor that maybe we'll see someday, maybe we won't. Their plans for a future controller, what they want for the Series S, what they want for Game Pass, all of these things. And this is this is the second time that we've seen these kinds of plans from Microsoft. There was a Ford Elisa leak years ago. Oh, yeah. And, pe- you know, people just love these. I, I, I don't think there was anything that absurd about the, you know, kind of revealed in these, these documents, but just seeing a console that they haven't uh, launched yet, and who knows, maybe they never will, um, was, was ridiculous. Yeah, and Phil Spencer had to put out a statement. He was like, no, this is a thing. We try everything. He was just like, uh-huh. he was very sad about it. The thing looks cool. I will say it looks great. It does. And the thing, I, I continue to be very excited about the idea of a console that is actually just inside of a controller and you just connect the controller to a screen and you can play that way. Like, that's the future. Give me that. Stadia was right about everything. And one of the things that we learned here is that Microsoft is looking at it that way too. They found, they. I think their phrase was that the controller is the hero. And they, they're like, oh, you know, you can plug your Xbox controller into whatever and play that Xbox game. Make it happen, Microsoft. Yeah. All right, last one. And Sony was like, the PS5 is weirder than ever. <laughs> Do you like Spider-Man? Here's some. <laughs> uh, this can only be, you can never put this on its side. Don't even try. <laughs> Weirdly, no one had uh, issues with us reporting on this one. Yeah, because it was in the trial. I mean, that's just like, whatever. It's like. Um, all right, we're gonna we have one more on the list, but first I'd like to read you a handful of honorable mentions. Okay. We had stories about layoffs that were huge this year. We had a story about the Steam Deck that Sean wrote that was very good. Um, ironically, he wrote it before the new Steam Deck came out. Um, but it was a big year for the Steam Deck. Sean, the Steam Deck and the Verge.com. It's just beautiful. Like yeah. it just all comes together. It's just it belongs together. Just don't leave don't yeah. touch it. Leave it alone. I agree. Um Josh Jezzo's piece inside the AI factory about like the real human labor behind AI was hugely popular. Really, really good story. Yep. Uh, it's been in a bunch of like best things of 2023 lists I've seen recently. Go read that if you haven't. Uh, Chris Persons thing about modding his soda stream was really high on the list, which kind of made my heart happy. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Amanda Chicago Lewis's very recent story about SEO experts, which pissed off the whole SEO community. Thank you all for reading our story. Loved that. But the last one on the list of the biggest stories of 2023 and one that I think absolutely deserves to be here. Samsung caught faking Zoom photos of the moon. (laughs) What is a photo? I'm doing it. It's happening. I mean, this is it. This is is proof forever (laughs) that we get to talk about this as much as we want. Yeah, here's what I'm going to say. And I, uh, look, this is only half a joke. All right. I love Liam, our producer. But any good podcast needs tension. You need to be fighting against someone who won't let you do what you want to do. And Liam is the one who says, I can't talk about what is a photo for an hour and a half every week. 
<laughs> That's it. Yeah. We're sticking it to the man. Every click on a what is a photo article. It's a vote against Liam. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Liam is wonderful. No. no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just joking around. But you need, yeah. you need the tension. Big content's trying to hold me down. I actually love this story because it is a what is a photo story, which was genuinely like an ongoing news story all year. It's it's an AI story. It's a like transparency yep. in what we understand on the internet story. It's a like what are your gadgets supposed to do for you story. It's like it kind of has everything all in one fake photo of the moon. And also the best thing about it is it requires you to understand that every photo of the moon is the same photo of right. the moon. Which is genuinely kind of mind-bending. Like, the thing about it that is the most interesting to me is, like, the stakes are zero <laughs> because you can never take a different photo of the moon. So, like, it, you, I could fake a photo of the moon today by just copying in a picture of the moon. And it's, <laughs> I haven't lied to you because the moon lo- it definitely looked like that at that time. I love it. Ah, <laughs> let's just talk about it for another hour. No, we have to go. That's my list. <laughs> this had been dug into in 2021. Uh, it was it was a story that came back around and we'll Wait, probably this come happened back before again. what? Yeah. There was a feature from 2021 where uh, Input Magazine uh, talked about the fake detailed moon photos. And they, they kind of explained it then, but they didn't explain it enough. And I that was see. why we, we had to do this all over again. Yeah. That, but I will say, like, a lot of people try to give Samsung an out. You know, like, it's not really faking. It's like, no, you don't understand. Samsung is taking the longest possible route to putting a clip art moon in your photos. You don't need all this AI. Just just be like, it's the moon, right? Here's a selection right. of photos of the moon that you can have because they're all the same photo. Your stupid <laughs> eyes and dumb camera aren't required for this. Just print out this photo. I really love that as a product that it's like every time you take a crappy picture of something, your phone is just like, it just like looks on the internet and it's like, here's a better photo of what you just, would you like this one instead? We're so close to it. Fireworks, concerts, just do it. Just the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Like somebody already did this. You're good. But the thing is the different, the difference with the moon is that no one (laughs) in the world can take a different photo of the moon. Like the Eiffel Tower, like the Eiffel Tower is always changing. There's like dust in the air. There's people around. There's French people whizzing by with berets and cigarettes. The moon's just there, man. It's been the same. Just <laughs> give people a photo of the moon. I love it. Every time you take a picture of the moon, your printer starts and a picture of the moon comes out. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. All right, that's it. That's my list. Biggest stories of 2023. It's a good year. Yeah. It was a pretty good year on TheVerge.com. Yeah. We had a good one. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening to our show, which has been going on now since 2011. And then before that, even longer. We've had a lot of notes recently about how many people have been listening to us the whole time. Tell your children. Initiate a new <laughs> audience. <laughs> it's going to be great. No, we had a great year. Uh, SAP was great. The Verge persists. We've got a huge year coming, both in terms of what we want to cover, what we want to do, the features on the site we want to release. I really do think that there's like a new internet coming and I want the verge to be right at the forefront of it. So I'm really excited about next year. I'm happy to work with these guys. I miss Alex. Say hi to Kranz if you see her gallivanting around the skies of America on Santa Slay. Uh, and that's it. Happy, happy, happy holiday. That's Vergecast. Rock and roll. And that's a wrap for Vergecast this week. Hey, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-VERGE-11. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. 
The show is produced by Andrew Marino and Liam James. This episode was mixed and edited by Xander Adams. And that's it. We'll see you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.